feel like Ed and I are both trying to be scholarly. He had like the sweater vest on. I, I've got the cardigan, so feeling smart. <laughs> so if you were here last week, you, you heard Ed introduce this journey through the New Testament that we're calling Everything New. And as you saw, just like with our Old Testament series, do you remember that? Um, Everything Old is New Again. Do you see how those titles kind of go together? I like it. Ed um, has created these teaching videos about each section of the New Testament to help us, you know, get a broad overview. And I, I think this is just so valuable, and it's something really that this congregation asked for in the reveal study that we took a few years ago. One of the highest priorities the congregation at Orchard Hill was that we would help each other understand the Bible more fully. And so this, this kind of flows out of that desire. And our daily engagement with scripture, our daily scriptures, if you're following those online through our website or receiving them in your email, is also walking through the same chunks of the New Testament. Not, not necessarily um, going through the same scripture that the teacher's choosing from, but giving you another look at the kinds of scriptures that flow out of that part of the New Testament. So I invite you, if you're not a part of following along with that, to go to our website and to sign up and to get those emails um, every day. So this week, we're going to focus on Jesus' teachings. And uh, I'm really excited about that. I love the teachings of Jesus. And I just want to add a little bit to what Ed shared in the video and say that a huge portion of how Jesus taught were in parables. In fact, some scholars I read said about 35% of Jesus' teachings were parables. They were these earthy, everyday kind of stories that were told to drive home mainly one main point to their listeners. And parables were often surprising They turned on a dime. People expected one ending, and they very often got another. And they very often got a shocking ending, which is why the parables are so compelling and why they were so memorable for people and still are for us. But one of the most important things that you and I should ask ourselves as we read any of Jesus' parables is this question. How would Jesus' original hearers have understood what he was saying? How would the people who were literally on the ground with Jesus when he told these stories, how would they have heard what he was saying? And when we do this, we unlock the deepest truths, I believe, of these pithy little stories. And I know, you know, it it might sound like a little bit of extra work or maybe a lot of extra work. I mean, we so want to just open the Bible and understand right away what things meant. And very often we can do that. But with parables, it feels to me like there's this little bit of extra work we need to do. And and I just want to say that I think it's so worth it to really understand what the greatest teacher in the world, the Son of God, is wanting to say to people is worth a bit of extra digging to try to understand it. And so I put in your bulletin um, at the very bottom of the notes section two great resources on parables. These are people who have either devoted their entire lives to studying ancient Middle Eastern culture or I don't remember which one of these guys um, went and actually lived amongst nomadic Middle Eastern tribes in an effort to try to understand more deeply the culture of the day of Jesus when he told these parables. So... I have some of their books in my office if you want to borrow any of them. They're not really light reading, but they're fascinating. So this morning I want to look together at one of Jesus' parables on prayer. 
And this is a perfect example of how we can read one of his parables that has been translated into our language. Remember, Jesus didn't speak English. I hope that's not shocking to any of you. He didn't even speak King James English, also shocking. He wasn't British. Um, and it, we can, how we can read one of his parables and, and possibly really misunderstand the point Jesus was trying to make because we interpret it in light of our culture, in light of our language, and how we read it, rather than in light of the culture of Jesus' day. And, and this is so important for us to understand. It's important for me to understand, because if we read this parable the wrong way, uh, it can actually contribute, I believe, to a pretty dangerous misunderstanding about prayer and actually discourage many of us in our life of prayer. So it's, it's called the parable of the friend at midnight. And I actually really want you to open up your Bibles this morning. Your, it's on page 1029 in your pew Bible, if you have one. If you brought your own Bible, it's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. And this, this parable only appears in the Gospel of Luke. It's nowhere else in the other Gospels. And the work we're going to do together is a little bit technical, different than how we usually teach. But I, I really hope you'll hang with me, because the end result... I I hope and pray, is not only going to be a richer respect for the parables and maybe a desire to dig in a little bit more to some of these stories, but also a new freedom in prayer. And so let's look at our text. Luke 11 starts with um, the fact that Jesus was praying and his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so the first little section, Jesus is teaching them, you know, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And then he goes into this story, Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And I'm going to read the parable and then read the context after the parable. And then we're going to dig in, okay? These are the words of Jesus. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. And I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. I don't know if you've known where the context of these verses were before. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who, if, if you then, sorry, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the parable of the friend at midnight is kind of embedded in this little run of teaching of Jesus on prayer. So I want to look first at the first part of the parable. Starts with verse 5. So Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Goes on through verse 7. And the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. So, so far, 
When I read that as an American 21st century Western English speaking Christian, I'm thinking that makes complete sense to me. Your friend has a friend who comes to stay at his house at midnight. And then that friend comes to my house and wants me to give him some bread at midnight. And I'm thinking, dude, it's midnight. Go to Casey's and get your own bread. I'm not getting up. My kids aren't with me in bed. I don't know what part that was, but he's your guest, right? Figure it out. That's how I read the parable. But remember, again, our scriptures are translations from the original languages of the New Testament. And almost every English translation of this particular parable starts the parable with this phrase. Suppose one of you. As if Jesus were laying out a typical story. But actually, what what some of these writers who have embedded themselves in studying these stories have have said is that this is actually what's called an interrogative parable. I put that word in the bulletin too. Interrogative. Doug knows what that is because it's a lawyer word, isn't it? It's not a regular story. This is a parable that consists of one long question and then an answer to that question. So to Jesus' listeners, this parable would have started more like, can you imagine that any of you would have a friend? Or who of you would have a friend? So the disciples, when they heard this originally, they heard a question from Jesus, not a statement. And the question would have sounded to them something like this. I put this on the, on the slide too. Who of you could imagine having a friend that you would go to in the middle of the night for bread because you had an unexpected guest? And could you ever imagine that your friend would answer, don't bother me. The door's been closed, my kids are with me in bed, and I am not able to rise up to give you anything. Now, I would say if Jesus asked me that, can you imagine that? I would say yes. Yes, I can imagine that. That would be me. I don't want anybody talking to me after 9 p.m. So at midnight, I mean, I'm really crabby. But everyone listening to Jesus, when he told this parable in his culture, everyone immediately knew the answer to Jesus' question because it was an implausible scenario in his culture. Jesus was basically asking his disciples, can you imagine a friend who would refuse to assist you in your effort to provide hospitality at the arrival of an unexpected guest? They would all say, no. No, I could, we could never imagine that because such a refusal in the Middle East was unthinkable. It was just unthinkable. They all knew that it was their imperative duty in their culture to provide for a guest's needs. There were no comfort in and suites back then, and there were also no vehicles, right? So people traveled by foot. They never knew when they would arrive. And the traveler's life depended on the hospitality of individuals and on the hospitality of the entire village. It was a cultural obligation. And so the sleeping man had an obligation to help his neighbor who had a cultural obligation to help the traveling man who showed up at his house at midnight. And see, if we don't get this, we don't get the parable. And so everyone hearing Jesus' story when he told it knew 
There is no way that a household who had bread would refuse to share it with a household that needed it. The mere idea of that to the Middle Eastern mind is laughable. The disciples might have even laughed at this story. I didn't read it and think it was funny in any way. But I think they might have really laughed. And Jesus might have had a big smile on his face when he told it. And we have to understand, again, look at verse 7 when, when Jesus is talking about what the guy inside the house said. We have to understand that he's not describing there an actual refusal. What Jesus is describing is the utter impossibility of such a refusal. It would never happen. And only then, you see, does the real point of this story start to become clear. And only then does this parable start to fit with the rest of Jesus' teaching on prayer. So Jesus sets up this question. And then he gives the answer. Verse 8. I tell you, he says. Though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And this is the punchline. Not funny again, but they might have laughed. Where Jesus is both admitting that the scene he has laid out is preposterous, and then he's stating that even if this whole preposterous scene was true, even then the cranky neighbor will still get up and assist his friend and give him some bread. So remember, this is an interrogative parable, one long question with an answer, but it is also one, and we know this from the very last verse where Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is an implied how much more parable, meaning Jesus describes a situation that would have been completely unthinkable to his listeners, and then he implies how much more Can you count on your heavenly father to meet your needs than this guy could count on his friend? Jesus was saying, if you'll pardon my use of modern language, that kind of jerk would never exist in our culture. But I tell you, even if that kind of jerk did exist, he would still get up and give his neighbor all that he needed. So how much more will your heavenly father give you all you need? But there's one final sticky problem with this parable. And it's the way that verse 8 reads to the American and the Western mind. Where Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And there's a lot of discussion about this particular verse. Lots of books written, you know. But the way that verse 8 reads to my mind is this. Because the neighbor asks so boldly, the sleeping friend will give him, get up and give him as much as he needs. That's how I read it. And so it's not surprising that when we read this and try to understand the heart of God, we assume this parable is about being bold and persistent in prayer. It's making some of us think when we read it that we have to knock and knock and knock really loudly to get God to hear us because for some reason this describes him as both cranky and sleepy. 
You know, we could start to think really by reading this that the outcome of our prayer is dependent upon how long or how hard or how well we pray. When I first read it the first time, I thought of this needy friend just pounding and pounding and pounding on his neighbor's door. But when you go back to the original question that Jesus asked, where he said, can you imagine a friend who would be like this? We have to remember that the parable actually has no real refusal. Remember, when Jesus is describing the sleeping man as saying, don't bother me, I can't get up, he's describing the fact that this would never, ever happen in a Middle Eastern village. He's describing the impossible. No one would ever refuse a neighbor's request for bread. And the parable itself doesn't mention knocking at all, nor does it mention any repetition and repetition and repetition of the request. So hear me clearly here, because this is really important. Praying persistently and faithfully is a good thing. But it is not necessarily to be interpreted into this parable, no matter how much it sounds like it should at the first glance. Because this is not a parable where we're supposed to make direct correlations. You know, God is like the sleepy, cranky neighbor, and we are like the needy friend with, who needs bread. The parable doesn't suggest that God is asleep or that he's somehow offended when we ask him for what we need. The parable doesn't teach that God will only hear us if we pray with a certain level of confidence or if we weary him through continual prayer. When Jesus cautioned against repetitious praying, thinking that it's because of our many words that God will hear us. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, this is in the Sermon on the Mount that Ed talked about. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. But do not be like them, because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. If a prayer concern of ours continues, of course we should continue praying. Of course we should. But very often our discussions about persistence in prayer carry this idea that if we pray long enough and passionately enough or boldly enough, then and only then will God hear our prayer. And I just want to ask this question. What kind of God is implied In such a theology, do we really believe that only the squeaky wheel gets the grease? Is that how prayer works? Whoever works the hardest wins? And what do we say to people when that formula does not work? What do we say to parents who pray day and night for their child to live and it doesn't happen? What do we say to a wife who prays for years that her spouse will not leave her and then he does? Do we say to them, it must not have been enough? Of course not. Of course we don't say that to people. See, the listener in Jesus' day would have heard the ending to this parable slightly different than we do. The word that is translated into English as boldness, which we think of as a good word, especially we Americans, we like a good, bold person, don't we? When we lived in England for a year, I was overly bold and friendly and they didn't like me. So 
It's not, it's not universal, trust me. But we think of this as boldness and that it's an, a good word. But in Jesus' language, the word here actually means kind of shamelessness or rudeness. So, so to the Jewish ear, this parable would have been heard this way. Who of you could ever imagine having a friend that you would go to in the middle of the night and you would say to him, friend, please give me some bread because a friend of mine has come to my home and I have nothing to feed him. And can you imagine that the one inside would answer, don't bother me, go away, I'm already in bed, I'm not going to get up. Can you even imagine that? But I say to you, Even though this sleepy neighbor sees his friend's reasonable request as shameless or rude, and even though this sleepy neighbor is not being a very good friend, yet even then he will get up and give his friend what he needs. In the original language, the punchline of the parable points more to the idea that the neighbor will provide the bread for his friend's needs in spite of his rudeness, not because of it. And then remember, this is an implied how much more parable. And we start to see what Jesus' listeners would have heard. They would have heard how much more can you trust God to hear your prayers and to provide what you need than this unthinkable neighbor. Jesus was trying to show that his father listens to the needs of his children and he will always come to their help when they ask him. I mean, if you can trust a neighbor who is a complete jerk to give you bread, even when he thinks you're being rude, how much more can you trust the heart of your loving and good and kind father to provide for what you need? The main point of this whole parable is not how hard or how boldly we have to pray before God hears us. The main point is that we have a father who, when he is asked, graciously provides what is needed and indeed often provides far beyond what might be expected, even to the giving of the Holy Spirit. And because of this truth, Jesus implores his disciples to ask and to seek, and to knock. And when he says that part, he's not advocating really hard work. He's just trying to get them to simply bring their needs to their father. This parable of the friend at midnight is one of the most beautiful but misunderstood of Jesus about the heart of his father. We are to pray, Jesus says, not so God can test our stamina, And see if we're strong enough to be rewarded. But because the heart of our father toward his children is so good. Prayer is about trusting in the goodness of God. And so often, you know, the reality is we don't pray because we're not sure that God is good. And when we doubt his goodness, see what happens is we switch our focus to our efforts and we start to think our efforts are what matters, how hard we work, what methods we need to use to capture this fickle God's attention. But Jesus tells us in this little parable that his father is listening always and that prayer is really about his power and his goodness. It's not about ours. Prayer is about his willingness to answer, not about our persistence or our diligence or our right methods. 
And so since the focus of prayer should be on God's goodness, you and I don't have to make prayer so complicated. We can just talk to God. God is good. So prayer is simple. It's simply conversation with God, bringing him our daily requests and concerns and hopes and dreams and gratitude and worship and questions. I think one of the greatest misunderstandings we have that keeps us from prayer is that there is a right way to pray. And it's kind of secret and it's a little tricky. We have to work really hard to figure it out. Maybe take some classes and stuff. And maybe just maybe if we work really hard and become good at it, maybe then God will hear us. We believe God answers prayers when really good prayers pray them. You know, or he answers those who pray the longest or the hardest or the boldest, you know, and this leaves most of us out. We don't pray and we feel guilty and we know we're bad prayers and we know God doesn't answer bad prayers, prayers, so we don't pray. And it's just this vicious cycle. But I hope we remember that prayer flows out of our needs and not out of our strength. Prayer always flows out of our need. The great Norwegian, Ole Hallisby, classic writer on prayer, said this. He said, helplessness is the first and surest indication of a praying heart. Prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Only he or she who is helpless can truly pray. If you're like me, you're thinking, oh, that's the qualification? I can do that. What do you feel helpless about right now? That's the beginning of prayer. Helplessness combined with the tiniest mustard seed of faith. That's all you need. But sometimes God says no, doesn't he? Because he loves us and he's smarter than us. Reminds me, I'm almost done, but it reminds me of when our chocolate lab, Chessie, she's the one who died a couple of years ago, a cruel death. She was about 13 years old and she kept wanting to go down the basement steps. I think she just wanted to go down there to die. I don't know. But whenever she did go down there, she stumbled and she fell and she got stuck down there. And it was just too dangerous for her to go down there anymore. So I closed the door. And she just kept standing there in front of the door, pleading with me to let her go down those steps. And I could tell that she believed that only if she went down those steps would she be happy. And I remember standing in my kitchen when I started to talk to her. I talked to my dogs. And as it did, it struck me. This is how God sometimes talks to me. And I said to her, Chessie, I love you too much to let you go down those steps. For if you go down those steps, you will surely die. And I know you will never understand that. And you may hate me right now and think I'm bad and evil and denying you the one thing in life that will make you happy. But I know more than you. I'm confident I could say that to my dog. (laughs) So I'm going to close this door forever. And my dog will always believe I withheld good from her. And I don't know how eternity plays out with dogs. But I hope one day she will learn that my withholding those stares from her was done out of deep wisdom and love and kindness. And I just know that's how God feels when he says no to us. And in the end, prayer is a mystery. It's a mystery, my friends. And don't let anyone convince you otherwise. 
It is not a method. It is not a cause and effect. It is a vibrant, mysterious relationship with the living God. And there is nothing certain about prayer except that God loves us. And when the mystery feels too great and we get lost and confused by the temporary bad things that happen even when we pray, we must, as Jesus taught in this parable, trust God's heart. As the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind, and he's too wise to be mistaken. So when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the master teacher. And we want to enroll in your school. And so would you help us not to just be readers of your word, but studiers of it and lovers of it and people who seek and seek and seek after your truth so that we can understand better what you are trying to tell us about the heart of your father and how you want us to live. Amen.